Okay, Seth, if some of you don't know who I am, my name's Seth. Um, most of you probably do know who I am because it's kind of hard to miss all of this, but uh, <laughs> we, I, we've been going through the wisdom literature series, and I have been so fortunate to be able to sit with you guys through that, going through Proverbs, going through the seven deadly sins, right? And this week, we even had baptisms last week, and this week we are going to be going further into our wisdom literature and going into the book of Ecclesiastes. We're going to be going into Ecclesiastes, another Old Testament book. Um, But before we move into that, I wanted to ask you a question. Um, Just think to yourself, no need to answer out loud, but what is meaningful to you? What in your life brings you meaning? Could be a hobby, it could be a job, it could be your dog. Some of you like your dogs way too much. Uh, especially some people who have like four or five of those things. But just think about, just think about the, um, think about what brings you meaning in your life or what you find to be valuable. Now, while we, um, while we're thinking about that, I just wanted to bring up some background to the book of Ecclesiastes. So Solomon is, is thought to have written this book. Everything in the book suggests that Solomon wrote it. Most scholars will agree, unanimous almost, that Solomon is the author of Ecclesiastes. And the reason I asked you that question was because Solomon asked the same question of himself. What is meaningful in life? And what's interesting about Solomon, we read his work in Proverbs, but Solomon is considered by many church people as the wisest person to ever live. Now, I say Jesus is the wisest person, so they're wrong. But he is one of the wisest people to ever live. There's a Bible story where Solomon prayed to God for wisdom to help him lead Israel as a king, and God gave it to him. And so he definitely has the wisdom, and I don't know about you, but if there was anybody who I would want to see talk about what's meaningful in life, it'd be the wisest person to ever live, right? So let's see what Solomon has to say about what is meaningful in life. These are the words of the teacher, King David's son, who ruled in Jerusalem. Everything's meaningless, says the teacher, completely meaningless. Well, that's encouraging. Everything's meaningless. It's not really what you would expect out of the Bible, right? You know, we're always in here looking for something hope and meaning, but right here, Solomon, the wisest man to ever live, everything is meaningless. Well, maybe it gets better, right? Maybe, maybe Solomon's setting us up for something. Let's see what else he goes on to say in verse 3. What do people get for all their hard work under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth never changes. The sun rises and the sun sets, then hurries around to rise again. The wind blows south and then turns north. Around and around it goes, blowing in circles. Rivers run into the sea, but the sea is never full. Then the waters return again to the rivers and flow out again to the sea. Everything is wearisome beyond description. No no matter how much we see, we are never satisfied. No matter how much we hear, we are never content. History merely repeats itself. It has been all done before. Nothing under the sun is truly new. Sometimes people say, here's something new. But actually, it's old. Nothing is ever truly new. We don't remember what happened in the past and in the future generations, 
no one will remember what we are doing now. Man, you feel that tension? You're like, I do not feel encouraged right now. And we might think, man, Solomon, that's a bit extreme. Well, you can't just be going around saying everything's meaningless. I mean, what, what did you do in your life then? You know what? Uh, it can sound extreme, but is it really extreme? I mean, haven't we all at one point in our life felt this way? That we've, we've chased after something and then realized that we spent so much time on something that really didn't satisfy us? Let's take some examples. Work. Maybe you're somebody who is a just somebody who values work, and you had this position or this job or this promotion you were going for, and you worked extra hours, you sacrificed time with your family, you sacrificed time with your friends, free time, you sacrificed sleep, and then you finally get that promotion, and what happens? You might have gotten a bigger pay raise, but you worked more hours, and you're seeing your family less, and you don't really feel, maybe, maybe this hypothetical person is what was the point of this? I'm not happy. This isn't making me happy. You see, work can be meaningless. It can feel meaningless sometimes. What about education? In high school, I thought all education was meaningless. Um, that's why it took me to my late 20s to go to college. Um, but maybe you are somebody who's graduated college. And maybe you, I, th- I think we all know somebody who spent years and years, and thousands and thousands of dollars to get an education and a degree, and then when they got out of school, they couldn't find a job. Or worse, maybe worse, the person who barely graduated high school has a better job and has more time to himself and is living a more comfortable life. No debt, right? And then you can just sit there and think, man, meaningless. Everything I did was meaningless. What about relationships? A lot of people find value in their families. But what happens when you're raising a kid and you've spent 16 years of your life putting good morals into that kid, putting good values, teaching them skills that they're going to need in life, teaching them how to speak to people. In In our situation, teaching them what it means to love God. And then 17, 18 years old, they go off and do their own thing. Don't listen to a word you've told them. And you think, think, man, 16 years of my life just down the drain. I've spent so much time. Meaningless. What about health? Some of you really like to run. I obviously do not like to run, okay? I, I, the farthest I'll run, the only, you know, some of you bike, some of you go on trails. The only trail I've been on is the Donut Trail, and it's down south near Cincinnati. It's amazing. Yes, yes. It's delicious. And you also judge yourself afterwards, but that's okay. Won't stop me from going next year. So many of you, though, really, really care about your health. You run every athlon and arathon you can. You do every every muff muff tutter. What is it? Tough runner? What is it? Tough mutter that you can find. You're eating healthy, counting calories, right? And then you go to the doctor not good news. Three months to live. Meaningless. Everything you just did, everything to protect your body, meaningless. So now that we've had these thoughts, maybe Solomon, again, let's see what Solomon has to say about some of these areas we just talked about. Let's look at work. Maybe Solomon has a more optimistic look on work. 
I came to hate all by hard work here on earth. That's a good start. For I must leave to others everything I have earned. And who can tell whether my successors will be wise or foolish? Yet they will have control of everything I have gained by my skill and hard work under the sun. How meaningless. So I gave up into despair, questioned the value of all my hard work in this world. Some people work wisely with knowledge and skill, then must leave their fruits of their efforts to someone who hasn't worked for it. This too is meaningless. A great tragedy. So what do people get in this life for all their hard work and anxiety? Their days of labor are filled with pain and grief. Even at night, their minds cannot rest. It is all meaningless. Well, obviously, work's not going to give us meaning. Solomon's pretty clear about that. Well, let's move on to the next one. Let's think maybe pleasure. You know, I think, for me, the opposite of work is pleasure. You know, I don't find very much pleasure in doing work, but I love me a couch and just a movie. So let's see what he has to say about stuff and pleasure. I said to myself, come, let's try pleasure. Let's look at the good things in life. But I found that this too was meaningless. So I said, laughter is silly. What good does it do to seek pleasure? So I became greater than all who had lived in Jerusalem before me. And my wisdom never failed me. Anything I wanted, I would take. I denied myself no pleasure. I even found great pleasure in hard work, a reward for all my labors. But as I looked at everything I had worked so hard to accomplish, it was all so meaningless, like chasing the wind. There was nothing really worthwhile anywhere. All right, well, there goes pleasure. But I've got one. I've got one that I, you know, when I'm, when I'm thinking of Solomon, there's one thing that I could find that he would, that he would latch on to. Wisdom. Right? Because remember, I said at the beginning that Solomon prayed to God that he would be given wisdom to lead God's people, and God gave it to him. So there has to be value in it, right? I mean, obviously Solomon would have to find value in wisdom. What's he say? I, the teacher, was king of Israel, and I lived in Jerusalem. I devoted myself to search for understanding and to explore by wisdom everything being done under the sun, and I soon discovered that God has dealt a tragic existence to the human race. I observed everything going on under the sun, and really, it is all meaningless, like chasing the wind. What is wrong cannot be made right, and what is missing cannot be recovered. I said to myself, look, I am wiser than any of the kings who ruled in Jerusalem before me. I have greater wisdom and knowledge than any of them. So I set out to learn everything from wisdom to madness and folly, but I learned firsthand that pursuing all of this is like chasing the wind. The greater my wisdom, the greater my grief. To increase knowledge only increased sorrow. Man. See, Solomon is exhibiting thoughts and behaviors that are very similar to what we've coined in the last couple hundred years as nihilism. Nihilism. Now, what nihilism is, is it's a term by, that was coined by Frederick Nietzsche, who's a psychologist, who said that, the, that this world has no true value and that existence is effectively 
purposeless and meaningless. And so it's really funny because we keep hearing Solomon say there's nothing new under the sun. But we, we can see that with nihilism too. Nietzsche might have thought of the word nihilism, but the idea of nihilism goes thousands of years back to Solomon. See, this is what we call pessimism literature. It's a, it's, a, it's a genre of literature from the ancient times where Solomon was at. And what's interesting about specifically Ecclesiastes is it's the only account of pessimism literature in the Bible. You see, Solomon was at the end of his life. And we aren't much different than Solomon. And if we think about it, there are moments in my life I can think of where I've just, like we said it before, where I'm just thinking, man, what's the point of all this? And especially when you start thinking about what Solomon was facing, because Solomon, Solomon had something in front of him. Solomon could not find meaning in this world when confronted with the grave. When looking at the end, at the shadow of the end, the grave that was in front of him, at the end of his life, looking back at everything he's ever done, he couldn't find any purpose for what he had just done his entire life. Because at the end of the day, he's going to be in a grave. Man, I mean, I, can, I know there's moments when I think about death and it scares me. You know, if this idea can be haunting to us. You see, this is where we're going to be talking about our bottom line. That God brings meaning to the meaningless. But we're going to work backwards. You see, we're going to start with this. So I just want to give you a dash of hope because we've been kind of just going hard into it. So God brings meaning to the meaningless. You see, Solomon is sharing the earthbound perspective. He's only considering life under the sun. That is, a human life lived to the exclusion of any consideration of God. From that godless perspective, everything is indeed meaningless. So what's the point of Solomon writing all this, right? Because to me, it's kind of contradictory. You're saying nothing matters, but you took the time to write this book, right? So what is, why? Why write something so dismal? And why did God think it was necessary for us to hear it? That's the question that we're going to answer. Because you know what? We've been looking at a lot of the the really dismal areas, but there are a few glimmers of hope in the book of Ecclesiastes. Solomon makes, Solomon makes some other observations. Ecclesiastes 3.11, God has made everything beautiful for its own time. This is, the only, this is the first dash of hope we see. It's like, oh, this is good. You know, beauty, we love beauty. Even if it's for its own time, I'll take it for right now in this book. He has planted eternity in the human heart. But even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. So we see this, this idea that God, God is doing something. So I decided there's nothing better than to enjoy food and drink and to find satisfaction in work. Then I realized that these pleasures are from the hand of God. For who can eat? Or enjoy anything apart from him. God gives wisdom, knowledge, and joy to those who please him. This is how God brings meaning to the meaningless. Because God wants a relationship with us. God wants to give us these things, right? It is, God has planted eternity 
in the human heart. That's something he's given us. He's given us, he gives us wisdom, knowledge, and joy, and gives it to those who please him. It takes, it's a transaction. We please, he gives. It's what he, it's who he pleases to give it to. You see, Solomon Solomon had a problem. He saw the power of God. He saw who God was. Solomon was very in tune with God. But there's still a mystery. People cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. God is the one who brings meaning to the meaningless. But even there, Solomon doesn't know what that means yet. So our, our, our bottom line is God brings meaning to the meaningless. But what was Solomon's bottom line for this scripture? What did he write at the end of the book? He writes, that's the whole story. Here now is my final conclusion. Fear God and obey his commands. For, there, for this is everyone's duty. God will judge us for everything we do, including every secret thing, whether good or bad. Now, I tried to take on a pessimistic idea when I was thinking about this. And I'm thinking, okay, well, that's great, Solomon. Thanks. That's what we're supposed to do. But that still doesn't solve the issue for me, right? Oh, fear God, obey his commandments, and then I die. You know, okay, well, you're just adding more things that I could easily say are meaningless. But that's only if we don't understand it within the total picture of what we know now. You see, Solomon was on the other side of the cross. So let's break down this scripture. Fear God. Fear God. That's not, that feels weird, especially for people like me who've grown up and heard love, 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 right? Well, let's see what one of, these, one of the scholars, Derek Kidner, says. Fear God is a call that puts us in our place and all other fears, hopes, and admirations in their place. That's what it means to fear God according to him. Jay was once told, he told me, that he, he was told once that to fear God is to take God and his words seriously. But still, that could still be a weird fear. That can be weird for us. So the way I like to think about it is that the, the fear that we are to have for God is a fear of a righteous judge. It's not a fear of somebody who's going to do wrong to us. It's a, it's a fear of somebody who's going to keep us in our place. Right? And that's a good fear. Let me give you an example. A boy is at home with his mom. Dad is at work. He's playing in his room. It's a mess. Okay? This wouldn't be me. My room was always spotless. It was not. Um, and then mom comes into the room, says, I want you to clean your room. She leaves. He keeps playing. She comes back, says, I want you to clean your room. Leaves. He keeps playing. She comes back, and what does she say to him? Wait till your father gets home. Oh, man, that boy is up cleaning. Why? Is it because, he, because that father is going to harm him? Because that father is going to do something wrong to him? No, it's because that father is going to do something right to him. 
right? He's going to discipline him for his disobedience. Our fear of the Lord should be a fear of a righteous judge, just like we fear our fathers. I never had that experience. My experience in life was um, I got in trouble for something I definitely should have gotten in trouble for. And I was sitting down, and my parents are sitting on the couch. And my mom's trying to, my mom's leading the conversation because she's the gentle one. My dad just kind of was sitting there listening. And I start talking over her because I'm a boy. I think I've got, I got all this testosterone running through me. So I started to speak louder than her. And all it took was one word from my dad. He said, Seth. And I shut up. I shut up instantly because I feared and respected my father's authority. So that's the first step of this. It's, there's multi steps to this. So that's the first one. Obey his commandments is the second one. Obey his commandments. This to me right here is where everything's going to come together. Everything. This is how Solomon's book of Ecclesiastes makes sense and why it, it's, it works and you'll see it. Because what does it mean for us as Christians on this side of the cross to obey God's commandments? What does it mean for us to obey God's commandments? Well, 1 John tells us this. We must believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. This is his commandment. And love one another just as he commands. Our first and most important commandment as Christians is to follow Jesus. Follow Jesus. From the, words of, from the mouth of Jesus himself, Jesus answered them, this is the work of God that you believe in him, being himself, whom he has sent. Jesus is the answer to obey my commands because as Christians, as Christians, this is how everything comes together. It's Jesus. Jesus is the one who gives us eternity. Remember what Solomon wrote? He said, that he had written, that God had written eternity on the hearts of men. But what does it say? Man could not see the full plan from beginning to end, right? Solomon had the grave in front of him and he could not see anything past. But what do we know about, what do we know about Jesus? John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his son that whoever believes in him should not see the grave, should not see the end, should not have to worry about things va- going into vapor, but have eternal life. All of a sudden, this barrier of the grave is no longer there for the Christian. So everything now has eternal weight because everything we do is in perspective of eternity. God gave us a chance in Jesus to have eternal life so we didn't have to feel like Solomon felt. So we didn't have to experience that. We get to live in confidence knowing that Jesus has given us eternal life. And now everything has meaning because God brings meaning to the meaningless. You see, it is... Jesus, who gives us the opportunity to make everything matter. Our work now matters because when we go to work as Christians, when we go to that workplace, it is not for the money, it's for the mission field. 
We now have people that, we, that don't know Jesus around us, that to them, they're in the same boat that Solomon was in, that they can't see past, their, past the grave. They can't see past their death. Eternity is not in their focus. And so everything we do at work has eternal significance because if they come to know Jesus, then their eternity is secured in Jesus. It has eternal significance. Our relationships, you raising a child, you building up a marriage, you having a friendship, being able to reconcile whether you blundered the relationship, they blundered the relationship, or whether you're just trying to grow in loving each other, you have an opportunity to show them Jesus. Because now you can see, you have the mystery revealed. Paul tells us that Jesus is the mystery revealed. The thing that Solomon could not see, the plan of God from beginning to end is Jesus Christ. And you cannot live in this life and have meaning if you do not understand that there is an eternity that, that is significant. On top of that, we also have that education, that wisdom, your wealth, all of these things, all of these things have eternal weight because of what Jesus has done. Jesus has destroyed sin and death. Jesus has conquered the grave. And so we no longer have to end with the grave. The grave is no longer our end. We see past that. And here's the great thing. Your next thought might be, well, that's great, but um, why does that matter right now? I mean, if eternity is what we're going to get, why does what I do right now truly matter? And I would say that First John tells us that he's writing to the people so that they may know that they have eternal life, not will have. Eternal life starts now. You have, if you are in Christ Jesus, if you know Jesus as your Savior and you believe in him, you have eternal life starting now. And everything you do matters. Everything you do matters. Because God brings meaning to the meaningless. God can take that nihilism and turn it into divine purpose. But you have to believe in Jesus. You have to believe that what Jesus did for you is important and what and what he did for you is for other people. He didn't just do it for you. He wants you to Jesus Jesus says if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And what's his commandment at the very end the great commission? Go and make disciples. That's what we're called to do. Live for God now because there's an eternal weight behind everything that you do. So our next step questions. What do I tend to find my meaning in? worth in? Is it wisdom? That's mine. I, I love learning. But learning for learning's sake can be an idol. Pleasure. Maybe you love stuff. Maybe you love going out, doing, doing things. Or work. Workaholics. How might my relationship with God bring meaning to these things? And do I have a relationship with God? Let's pray. God, thank you so much for giving us this book to um, provoke us to think about what truly matters in this life. God, it can be hard to read books like that where we just don't see much light, but God, we know that in light of Jesus, there is hope in everything. The Bible is, is perfect, it's complete. God, you have a plan for, for, that, for that scripture, and we saw it today.
God, you have planted eternity in the hearts of men and a longing for people to come and know you. God, let us who already have experienced that help, help us be a vehicle for other people to see you in your light, in your eternity. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you guys, you are dismissed.